Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The FT. Your country needs you to lose your child benefit. But are there ways to get round the government's cuts? Ireland is the latest country to trigger a sovereign debt scare, so should bond investors seek safer havens? And where will you find a mortgage for your country pile? We ask if new lending rules will hit the wealthy. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Alice Ross Hello. and Tanya Poli. Hi. And our special studio guest, Brian Dennehy of Independent Financial Advisors, Dennehy, Weller & Co. Hello. Let's start with the money news. This week, the middle-income families of Middle England learned just how directly government spending cuts will hit them when Chancellor George Osborne announced the axing of £1 billion worth of child benefit payments for higher-rate taxpayers. Households that include a higher-rate taxpayer, that's someone earning more than £43,875 a year, will lose their child benefit from 2013, which is roughly equivalent to £1,000 a year for the first child and £700 a year for subsequent children. But some financial advisers have pointed out that people who are just over the threshold for higher-rate tax can avoid losing the child benefit by paying in larger pension contributions, and parents who currently invest their child benefit payments on behalf of children are being advised to consider alternative saving schemes that could help them reduce their inheritance tax. Alice, it seems that the you know, political backlash has been swift, but you know, so has the practical advice. Yes, when this was announced earlier this week, uh, within I think within the hour, I had some tax experts writing to me with examples of um, how you could pay more into a pension if you earn just over 44000 And if you put some of that money into a pension, you would then fall below the level um, for child benefit purposes, and then you would get the child benefit. So you'd actually wound up getting more money <laughs> if you put some extra money into your pension, basically. Because you would, you, yes, you, you'd get your full eligibility to child benefit would remain. Exactly. Because your taxable pay had just gone back below. Exactly. And the amount that you might have had to put into your pension would be worth less than the child benefit that you would then get. So quite a nifty little ruse there. It is. But for those who um, you know, may not be in the position to, to take that sort of reduction in their income, uh, what are people saying about the the alternative sort of savings plans that uh, can be put in place? Mm. Well, I mean, uh, so a lot of higher rate taxpayers, uh, wealthier families would, would often take the child benefit and just put it into a savings scheme for their children. I mean, they didn't necessarily need to use it to 
actually buy things right then and there for the kids. So often people would put it into stakeholder pension plans, for example, um, children's savings schemes, um, those kind of things, which if you're investing um, every month for 18 years, say, or longer, can just have such an amazing effect because you've got the compounding effect of all of those um, monthly savings, all of the dividends being reinvested. So it can add up to quite a nice sum for your child. And it's well, it's, it's equivalent to what roughly for the first child eighty eight pounds a month, which is not you know, not a bad mm. amount. So, um, are financial advisors and fund managers all saying, right? All you've got to do is replicate that mm. monthly saving into our handy plan. Exactly. I think, um, yeah, I've seen quite a few things this week from um, investment trusts actually offering savings plans. Investment trusts often do pretty good um, children's saving schemes and investment trusts are a good option for long-term saving often because they have lower charges than other types of funds like unit trusts. And I think they have been jumping on this bandwagon a little bit and saying, hey, you know, child benefit may be going, but remember that you should save regularly for your children anyway. And why don't you have a look at our, our scheme? Yes, exactly. Um, and uh, this idea that um, parents and grandparents might want to set up uh, a savings plan and also get some inheritance tax benefits, how does that work? Well, I mean, if you um, if you pass some of your estate down to your uh, grandchildren, it, that's a way of basically getting rid of the estate for inheritance tax purposes. You're allowed to gift up to £3,000 a year, free of inheritance tax anyway. Um, any Anything further that you gift... Um, could be counted for inheritance tax if you die within seven years of making the gift. But after, if you make it and then you survive for a further seven years, then that's also out of your estate for those purposes. And in fact, also, if you make regular savings out of your income, that can also not be counted for inheritance tax purposes. So you could potentially give more than 3000 a year if it was a regular kind of thing. Yeah, one of the other things about the, um, the, the packages, the investment packages that are designed apparently for children is don't worry too much about the packages actually the key long term is getting the right investment whether it's something packaged for children or not if the minimum is okay for you to to put in I mean that's the key for many people it's can I put as little as 50 quid or 100 quid in and there are a few plans where you, where you can do that but beyond that the the key really is picking the 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 right fund or the right asset class and I've been investing for uh, godchildren since um, probably about 1989 I think when Mark Mobius launched his Templeton Emerging Markets Fund and there have been the most fantastic returns and there was clearly huge value in emerging markets as far as I was concerned at that point I think there probably still is um, and the key for those who are starting to invest now is take that 18 year view as, as Alice suggested but look at the areas where there's the most value at the moment and there are one or two places like that in the world they're the places where you're then going to get the greatest value for your grandchildren or whoever else over the next 18 and 20 years so if, if you are looking to set up a savings plan for a, for a child which are those two areas that you'd like to look off well I, mean, I still like emerging markets i like india in particular um, bear in mind we're looking at 18 20 years and you're putting the money in monthly you can afford to take more risk putting it into a fairly dull managed fund or into, uh, in, into some kind of bond fund. I mean, don't bother. For 18 or 20 years, you can take more risk. 
um, and also um, Japanese smaller companies, believe it or not. It's the sort of thing that I'd certainly put it into for my for my godchildren still. There you go. That's what that's what you need for your for your children and your godchildren. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Brian, and also uh, Alice. And for details of uh, the alternative regular savings plans um, that you can start and ways to remain eligible for child benefit, look out for Alice's article in the money section of this weekend's FT and on our website at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, will new mortgage regulations mean that even wealthy borrowers can't get a loan? First, though, the bond market. Last week, the multi-billion euro bailout of Ireland's banks raised fresh concerns over the country's bonds and prompted another flight to safety uh, in terms of money moving into UK gilts. But at the same time, renewed speculation that the Bank of England could resume buying gilts for institutions to inject cash into the economy, so-called quantitative easing, hastened the buying of government bonds. But... As this has further pushed up prices and cut yields, is the price of safety for bond investors now too high? And are there better alternatives? Brian, you are an avid bond watcher, producing your bond watcher email alert. What have you made of uh, last week's events? It's more of the same, really, in terms of the uh, dash for security by, uh, by many in buying buying gilts and in buying the equivalent in the US and in, and in Germany, um, we could well see more of the same. We could, uh, if risk aversion rises more in the next few months and again into next year and into the year after, we're going to see more bouts of, of yields falling. It's just a matter of what the volatility is between now and then. We could also see quite sharp rises in yields from time to time. For example, in the UK, if the UK economy starts slowing in the next uh, quarter and into 2011, which is perfectly conceivable, will some of the overseas buyers that currently the UK government is relying on to buy new issues of government bonds still be prepared to buy those bonds? Um, much will depend also on what's happening with the currency, which is a, a, another swing factor there. But if things go wrong for the UK government, yields could go up quite sharply and um, some bond invest investors could, could feel quite a bit of pain in between those bouts of people dashing back into gilts when they're worried about what's happening with Irish bonds or Greek bonds or, or perhaps the financial system generally. And uh, this assumption that uh, in some way uh, UK gilts are a safe haven, you know, I suppose, needs to be challenged because there are arguably safer uh, havens in terms of... Um, sovereign debt you know uh, there are other governments around the world that are offering a rather more appealing uh, you know, bond issuance well there are there are safer havens in the sense that uh, the uk has an awful lot of government debt as, as well as does for example the us at the moment both of them certainly the shorter dated uh, issues are regarded as safe but you would have to argue that canadian Norwegian commodity-backed economies, the bonds from those countries are safer still, and that uh, we should continue to see sterling weakness against those currencies. So you get a double kicker. Uh, will you get the safety of the bonds and hopefully a kicker, which is probably going to be where your growth comes from on the currency, um, and, and Swiss as well. But the, the yields are really pretty poor there. You, to a large extent, I think you're relying on the currency to give you that kicker. And if you do want to uh, to get exposure to Norwegian, Canadian, Swiss or you know, others, um, are there any particular funds that you'd mention? It's really not 
easy to get um, a focused fund in, in that area. And I'm really surprised that more UK UK based uh, fund managers haven't launched more funds into this area because it's a, an area where there is really obvious demand. I mean, one fund uh, that does focus in that area, and it's, it's the only one that I know of that's relatively easily accessible for UK investors, is, is a fund called the New Capital Wealthy Nations Bond. And that focuses on those uh, commodity backed economies and similar like Switzerland. But for those investors who um, perhaps don't necessarily need the, the absolute safety or the absolute security, um, it, is, is it worth um, you know, not foregoing the opportunity cost of remaining in the corporate bond sector? Because there, there are far more attractive uh, uh, yields and, you know, and sort of pricing levels there. There are. I mean, in the corporate bond market, there are still some issues which are yielding up into double digits. Um, and I wouldn't suggest buying any one of those individually. And in fact, that's why bond fund managers tend to have 200 to 300 individual issues, because with a bond, the risk is a is a total one. You win or you lose in terms of the capital return. The chance of you losing everything is very remote. That's on, on, a, on a default. But the bond fund managers are cautious folk, which is why they, they invest into two or 300 different issues to, to ensure that you don't have that degree of, of risk uh, when you invest in their fund. Now it was only a few weeks ago, I think, that you were you were saying the party's over for corporate bonds, but clearly you don't mean that for the entire sector. So if you were an investor now, not uh, attracted by by the yields or indeed the the growth potential in government issues, which sort of funds would you look at? Yeah, the party's over in the sense that we had fifty percent returns on some funds since the blossom in March uh, two thousand and nine. Um, that isn't going to happen again. But if we get 5 to 8% returns in the next 12 months or so, that's very attractive compared to deposit or, or inflation. The, we're inclined to go for the, for the investment-grade bond funds still. Uh, and you've got people like uh, M&G with their M&G corporate bond fund managed by Richard Woolno, which was fantastic during the turmoil of 2008. A similar fund from Fidelity, Fidelity Money Builder Income. And another one, Henderson uh, Sterling Bond, which has navigated the last 18 months or so extremely well under the uh, under a new fund manager. Well, plenty of choice then for those who want to uh, remain invested in the, in the bond sector. Brian, thanks uh, for that. And for more on uh, alternative holdings for risk-averse investors, you can read our analysis in the money section of this weekend's FT and on our website at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, upmarket mortgages. This week, the Council of Mortgage Lenders warned that the new regulations on mortgage lending proposed by the Financial Services Authority could prevent millions of home buyers from getting a property. It calculated that about half of all the mortgages advanced between 2005 and 2009 would never have been granted if the new rules had been in place preventing 3.8 million people from buying a home. But it's not just lower earners that might be affected, as wealthy individuals could get caught by these new rules. Tanya, you've been having a look at uh, the rules. Uh, how big a problem do you think this could be for those buying more expensive houses? I think um, ultimately it depends on which of the proposals are actually put through and implemented. I mean, at the moment they are proposals and I actually had one broker say to me it could be a bit like the pre-budget report, which a lot of its stuff was leaked. And actually, at the end of the day, not a lot of that stuff was implemented. So it could be as kind of putting through, forward all these nasty discussions, but actually it won't come into place. But we are already actually seeing um, 
some of the proposals kind of actually been taken on by the banks and kind of already been implemented implemented like ahead of the actual um legislation coming through and um what we're finding is that a lot of wealthy borrowers just aren't able to kind of get mortgages if they've been recently self-employed or they've just set up a limited company or perhaps those who are interested in interest-only loans. That seems to be where it's hitting most for the wealthy borrowers. Because those are the, the, the two measures, I suppose, that, um, that are causing the problems. One, proof of income. Mm-hmm. Second, restriction on interest only. Yep, yep. We've actually seen already quite a lot of the high street lenders um, restricting their policies on interest only. So we've had this kind of, over the last few months, we've had loads of them sort of saying that they're not going to give it to first-time buyers. Um, and also that they're actually um, restricting interest only on loans sort of over £500,000, which really is where the wealthy borrowers are going to be asking, you know, to get those type of loans on. And um, I think it seems a bit strange because obviously um, FSA's aim of this is that they don't want to, they don't want banks lending to people who can't afford it. Well, what we've got with wealthy borrowers, they can actually afford um, these type of loans, these sort of more expensive large loans um and things like interest only actually work best for them because you've got a lot of these city employees who get their large bonuses and they end up um, paying off large sums of their interest only loan like a different parts it's just a lot more flexible product for them um so i think it really depends how restrictive the fsa is going to be about these type of policies um and then we'll see yeah one of the concerns that i have about this is that it's it's the fsa possibly interfering too much in the marketplace and the marketplace should be allowed to deal with these issues it's already self self-adjusted as, as you've already said Tanya uh, to a very large extent self-adjusted um, what might be a better way for the FSA to look at this is perhaps look at the total loan books of the banks at the end of every 12-month period or perhaps a two-year period and have a look at the quality that way of the whole of the whole of the of the loan book rather than trying to micro-regulate in, in this way. I think they're interfering in the day-to-day marketplace far too much. And in terms of um, you know, the, the market adjusting of its own accord, mm-hmm. you mentioned that the, the, the high street lenders are, uh, are sort of backing away from interest only. What about the private banks? Are they stepping in? Yeah, it seems to be the case. Um, I've had a few brokers say to me, actually, you know, they're doing so much more business now with the private banks because they're the ones who are more prepared to be a bit more flexible. They're kind of happier to look at the client on an individual basis rather than this kind of, you know, computer says no policy that's often talked about with the the high street banks. And um, they're a lot more flexible in terms of They'll look at the kind of overall assets and investments that the um, that the client has, and they're more prepared to take charges over different parts of a, a client's portfolio. So it won't just be the property. They'll look at um, the sort of uh, I don't know particular investment they've got or kind of other assets. So they're d- definitely being a lot more flexible about it. And I think that's where actually, if these proposals are introduced, that's going to be the area that's going to continue to fill the hole for for wealthy borrowers. But of course, if you do want to go with a private bank, they will want almost all of your yeah. <laughs> assets. Yeah, uh, passed over to them. You can guarantee they're going to ask you to like, you know, often they want one million, two million of investable assets brought over with them to, you know, as part of the deal of taking on your loan. It's not just basically about the credit. They want you want the investable assets as well. It has to be something in it for mm. them too. Thanks very much for that, uh, Tanya. And for more on the mortgage deals that private banks can offer, you can read Tanya's article in the money section of this weekend's FT. But that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you'll find weekday news updates and all of these stories on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And if you have a question that you'd like us to answer about any aspect of your finances, just email us. The address is money at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Tanya, Alice and our special guest, Brian Dennehy of Dennehy Weller & Co. Goodbye. Goodbye.
For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.